We're good? You guys can hear me? Great, excellent. It, it is a joy to be with you guys again. Um, the frequency uh, that I get to be here, uh, it, it's like I'm a guest, guest speaker, but kind of I don't feel like a guest. Like I feel, I feel like one of you guys. I feel like family. And again, as usual, the, the Northeast give their love to the Southeast. Um, and, uh, and, and thank you guys for going without uh, your beloved pastor, Mark, who is, is, is blessing our church this morning. Um, so thank you for releasing him to do that. Truly, that's not just something I just say. Thank you for blessing us. And it, it, was, a, it was a great message that Mark gave to us. Um, uh, you guys are, you guys are, you, you, you know this, but you guys are well served by your pastors. Um, not just Mark, Dan, Steve. Um, you guys are well, so the, these men, these men love God first and foremost, and then they love you, and they, they, they walk it out. And they, I just think you guys are well, well cared for, well served, and it's, it's in one sense, it's easy to be a, a, a guest speaker because you guys don't know me, my faults, my sins, um, which are many. Um, I get to come in, go out, but these men, Mark, Steve, Dan, are laboring in front of you day in, day out. You have to hear them preach day, you know, week in, week out, and they, and, and, but they do it faithfully, and they're, they're just a great team, and so just love you guys. So, um, well, uh, let, let's pray. We're, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, but before we do, let, we just join with me in prayer. Father, uh, your word is going to be opened. Your word will be proclaimed. So I pray that your word is proclaimed with power and with clarity. The power does not come from the speaker. The power comes from you. That's why I'm praying. That's why we're praying. We, we need to see you afresh this morning. Uh, Paul says that there are eyes of the heart in Ephesians chapter 1. And so the eyes of our heart need to see you this morning. Um, we need to see and behold the glory of you. That's what we were created for. That's what we're all thirsting for this morning coming in, in here. Um, there's temptations to try to try to satisfy that thirst with food, with sex, with video games, with, with friends and family, with money. But ultimately, only you will satisfy that hole. And so this morning, we come thirsty and hungry without money. And, and you tell us, come and eat and drink without price. So feed us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gonna put um oh maybe I'm not going to hmm is this amusing to you guys um all right the Lord well I was looking for my my phone for a little stopwatch because I didn't want to go long I wanted to be careful for you guys so but I have a good good idea good sense and if I go long I'll know because you guys are gonna be like you know wrap it up two hours okay cool. You know, I heard Mark Dever um, uh, 
pastor at Capitol Hill. Uh, his, his church had given him this, this, uh, this <laughs> I don't know what to call it, this thing. Well, there wasn't an hourglass. It was a holder for an hourglass. So that's what I'll call it, a hold, an hourglass holder that you can rotate, right? And, and so he was wondering what it, what it was all about. Wonderful, thank you. And, and he told his church that, that the, back in the day, the, the congregation would give the, pa, um, the preacher two turns <laughs> in their sermons. And that was it. After, after two hours, that's it. <laughs> all right, well, thank you. Okay, so for context, um, you know, we are going to be in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, but I would like to, to just begin by reading chapter 2, verse 1. So I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. And it reads, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And now our verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, as Americans, we, we love to shop for deals, don't we? So some of us will walk right into a store simply because they're having a sale, Sometimes I hear that from my wife, like, I wasn't planning on going there, but the, the sign said sale, you know, I, I gotta go, and I don't want to lose money, I mean, go on, you know. <laughs> and there's no day that, that produces quite the same shopping buzz like, like Christmas. We all have our different tactics. Some of you are shopping right now in, in May um, for Christmas because there's that great deal. Oh, that person's going to love that. And it's 60% it's off right now. Some of you will wait in line for seven hours on Black Friday um, because of the blockbuster deals that are being offered. And others will opt to not risk life and limb on, bla on Black Friday and will just wait till Cyber Monday for those, those great deals. Uh, whatever your method is for finding that great deal, uh, we all have a desire to tell someone how much money you, you saved and just, this, was, this is a wonderful deal. And we just read our text for this morning in which Paul wrote at the end of verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Uh, this needs to grip us. If you are a Christian, it is because God gave you the gift of salvation. 
Salvation is the gift of God. Salvation from his wrath. Salvation to love God forever and be loved by God forever. Salvation for you and me, those who were dead in our trespasses and sins, who followed the evil course of this world, who followed the the ways and loved the ways of the devil, who once lived only to satisfy our wicked cravings, who were the object of God's very own wrath, we Christians, we received the gift of salvation from God. Though we deserve the wrath of God for our sins, And God wasn't looking all year long for a sale to purchase this gift. He planned it before time began. God didn't stand in line for hours the night before, but hung on a cross for three hours, causing the sky to become dark. And what God paid for this gift wasn't on sale at a cheap, discounted price. He paid with the blood of his beloved son. And he bought this gift not for family members or friends. No, he, he bought this for people who hated him. For people who were his enemies for people who, after receiving this gift, are still going to have a hard time finding him interesting and reading his word and praying. God gave us a gift, the gift of salvation. And this, this, this begs the question, how? We're, we, were, we, were, we were children of wrath. We still sin today. How did we get this gift How do the children of wrath, the spiritually dead, come to walk peacefully, hand in hand, in a loving relationship with God as our Father? Now, our passage this morning is the glorious answer to this mystifying question. So we're going to work through these verses with with verses 8 through 10 with these three points to help us. Point one, we're saved by grace. Point two, saved through faith. And point three, saved to work. Saved by grace, saved through faith, saved to work. So number one, saved by grace. Verse 8 reads, For by grace you have been saved. Did any of you tremble for a moment when you read these words? Uh, or, or did your heart kind of miss, you know, flutter? Uh, it would be appropriate to do so. However, there, there might not be any words in the Christian dictionary that are more familiar, more underappreciated than the words grace and saved. How easy it is for us to use these words flippantly, carelessly, emptying them of any meaning, to slap them on t-shirts, use them as Christian propaganda and on bumper stickers. What happened here between verses 1 through 3 and 4 through 6, if you were to go back up there, what happened between verse 3 and verse 4 is described as being saved. If if verses 1 through 6 were watched as a silent movie, 
This is why we just read this, um, to get the context. I, I would picture a little boy getting stuck on a train track with the train barreling down on him. And, 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 and just as the last moment, someone frees him and he's tackled aside to safety as the train comes speeding through. That's the kind of language that's being used here. You have been saved. People who live through death-defying experiences often tremble when they think about what they survived. When, when the Bible says we've been saved, it means we've been rescued from the everlasting destruction of God's wrath as a consequence of our sin against this holy God. We have been saved from the consequences of our sins. There is a way of escape, and it's, it's through Christ. I've read stories, and many of you have as well, about the World Trade Center tragedy on September 11th. And they're always hard to read. I read about the United Flight 93 that went down in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, no survivors. I read stories about people who were trapped and, and left voicemails for loved ones um, who were faced with the terrible choice of death by fire or death by jumping out of a skyscraper. I found my heart racing as I tried to imagine how awful those fatal moments were. No way of escape. They were doomed. They were going to die. And the truth is that we're not emotionally affected and moved by grace because it's hard for us to believe that we were doomed. The people in the skyscraper can look out and see the black smoke from the floors below rising up. They can smell it. We're in an air-conditioned room. <laughs> maybe just tired from the night before. In 2003, a re research group discovered that, listen to this, 64% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die, but less than 1% think they might go to hell. That, that's, like, that's like sitting back, relaxing at the beginning of Flight 93, and thinking everything is fine. And everything's not fine. God's character has been assaulted. Everything is not fine. It's as if with every sin we commit, we are daring God to bring his wrath against us. He won't do it, we think. A loving God wouldn't be angry against his creation. Or maybe you think he can't do it. Life continues to move forward like no big deal. So maybe God's like an old man who can't get out of the chair to tell us to stop. And, and, and all the while, we miss that, that he must judge sin in order to be righteous. There isn't a choice in the matter. God is holy. The only thing that keeps God's holiness from brimming over into judgment is God's grace. The preacher Jonathan Edwards wrote this. The wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is let loose. It is true that judgment against your evil works has not been executed hitherto. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld, 
but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing and you are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds the waters back that are unwilling to be stopped and press hard to go forward. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open and the fiery, fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush with force with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than it is, ye 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. The difference between those who face destruction and those who receive his love is pure grace. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is an operative word. But here again, what does this mean? We speak of grace. We sing about amazing grace. We even attend a church that's called Sovereign Grace. But what exactly is grace? Well, it simply means gift or goodwill. It is by goodwill you have been saved. It is the gift of God that you have been saved. One of the best known definitions of grace is, is only three words. God's unmerited favor. A.W. Tozer expanded on that when he wrote, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to, to bestow benefits on the undeserving. But all of these definitions, just they, they leave me wanting more understanding. There's more to understand here because in light of verses 1 through 3, we were not just walking down the street minding our own business when someone gave us a large gift called salvation. Here you go, here's a gift. Hey, thanks. Thanks, man. That's not our situation. Grace goes one step further and treats sinners who justly and rightly deserved God's wrath with kindness. Grace is not merely unmerited favor. It is demerited favor bestowed upon sinners who were enemies of God. And this is at the heart of Christianity, that the, the heart of the gospel and the heart of worship. God can treat sinners with pardoning kindness because the floodwaters of his wrath, the ones that he holds back, well, he let them go and came crashing down on Jesus Christ with inconceivable fury. He brought his judgment against his own son, Jesus Christ died. And Romans 3.26 tells us it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus this morning? If so, it is by grace that you have been saved. And that leads us to point two. 
The one who has faith in Jesus. So you are saved through faith. Point two, saved through faith. This brings us back to verse eight. How did we get this gift? Okay, so the gift is grace of salvation. It's, it's salvation. Okay, so it comes to us by grace. Now, how do we get it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, belief, trust. Trust in what? It is in Jesus Christ, for he did not stay dead. Though he died, he did not stay dead. He was raised from the dead so that all who trust in him for their sins to be forgiven will be saved. There are some of you in this room right now who aren't saved. The fury and inconceivable wrath of a holy God Is, is, is ready to be poured out on you, and you don't know when it will happen. Death is not biased to age. You don't know when that will happen, and it is as if God is just holding you like a, like a spider's web and just, the, 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 and, and just holding you over his, his flames. And if God were to just let go, There is a way to escape. And it's not through your good works, and it's not by attending church, and it's not by dressing clean and being a good enough little girl or good enough little boy, and it's not by not, you know, cheating or lying. It's not by any of that. Forget that. That that takes you right back to hell. It's by faith, faith, trust in Jesus Christ that when he lived a perfect life, he lived righteous, perfect perfection for me. I don't, I don't have that. I'm a sinner. And when he died that death, he died that death on my behalf. That was what I deserved. So I don't just get forgiveness on the, on the cross, but I get righteousness from his life. And when he raised from the dead... And I trust and have faith in him. That resurrection, how do you know a debt is paid? Well, you know it because you usually get a receipt that says paid in full. That's what the resurrection was. Paid in full. Satisfied. Listen, God paid your sins in full and gives you Christ's perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I mean. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And you say, I do believe. Not just 20 years ago, but today. Not just mental assent to these truths, but a faith that embraces Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, if you have this kind of faith, you are saved from the wrath of God. It's really that simple. And yet, very profound. And yet, here's where we as Christians can make a significant mistake. Okay? Say, hey, I got it. I'm good with you. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Keith. I have faith in Christ. But yet, there's still... A temptation. I'm not saying that we always do this, but there's, there's still something in us. It's in me. 
to, to treat faith as if it were a work. So all you need to do is, is go out and get some faith. <laughs> faith becomes like a winning lottery ticket, and if you're holding it, you're going to get a prize. Some would say that God looks down the corridors of time and sees those who have faith and thinks, oh, goody, I love people who have faith in me, and then he saves them because of that faith. That turns faith into a work. This wrong thinking says things like, it's because you chose Christ that he chose you. And if salvation becomes uh, if salvation comes your way because of faith, because of faith, then only the smart ones who figure it out are saved. We saw what, that which others couldn't see, and God is rewarding us for our insight. Aren't we who believe just the smartest people in the world? Gold stars for everyone. Norman Vincent Peale has made much of this wrong way of thinking about faith. He, he popularized this kind of faith in a best-selling book called The Power of Positive Thinking. He taught that the Bible contained a technique for, quote, spiritual power that could make us successful. For him, the heart of the gospel was to be found in a few strong statements about faith in the New Testament, like Mark 9, 23, everything is possible for him who believes. And Matthew 17, 20, 21. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. All we have to do, Peel said, was memorize these verses, allow them to sink down into our subconscious minds and transform us, and we would become believers in God and in ourselves. Then we would be able to do what we precisely or what we previously thought would be impossible. Peel concluded, quote, according to your faith in yourself, according to your faith in your job, according to your faith in your God, this far you will get and no further. But here's the problem. Apparently, in Peel's mind, faith in oneself, faith in one's job, faith in God are essentially the same thing. And this really means that the object of faith is irrelevant. John Stott, who analyzed Peel's perspective, said, quote, To Dr. Peel, faith is really another word for self-confidence. In this way of thinking, you might be thinking like, dude, why are you telling me this? I don't even who's peel? I don't know. Like peel and orange? What are we talking about here, man? This way of thinking, my friends, is in the very air we breathe. We breathe this. I mean, have you heard of the book The Secret? That's what this is based on. It's everywhere. I've been on the college campuses. I've worked in the banks or in the sales positions. This kind of thinking is prevalent. I remember I, had a, I worked at a well-known bank, and the supervisor, manager guy who oversaw the whole place said, you know, we're in training, okay? So we're a bunch of just like, just, you're just sitting there in training. Like, oh, man, let's look at the clock. Can't wait for this. This guy comes in. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm listening. And he goes, um, I know exactly what, kind, what your stats will be like, by when I come up to you and, and, and say, how's your day going? 
or how are you? And if, if you give me a, 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 a like, uh, I don't know, things are, I know your stats are going to be bad because your attitude is, is what will make, make your, your results. And if you're saying, I'm great, I know you're going to be one of the top salespeople. And I mean, he, he, would, he would literally then test it out and, and go, go, go around everyone and, and do that. Uh, and, and, and so this is prevalent. You know, they, they tell you, they, 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 they make you think in sales. Faith, well, yeah, if, I can, if they can get me that house or boat or new car or, or rid me of cancer or give me lots of money, um, I'm in. Yeah, I'm all about faith. And God is reduced to nothing more than our genie in a lamp that we rub with our faith. But that thinking cannot hold up against the scriptures. Not only does it ignore the context of what has already come before in Ephesians, it would have to deny what comes next. It's as if Paul, in anticipating this question, is unsatisfied to just tell us how salvation occurs. He wants to... He wants to make it abundantly, abundantly clear on what basis we are saved. So he says in verse 8, and, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The word this refers to the whole clause in front of it. Saved by grace through faith. The whole package of salvation here. Grace is not a reward for obedience. None of this is initiated by us or generated from us or earned by us. Grace is not a reward for how you handled yourself at your monthly sales meeting or how hard you studied for that exam or how many loads of laundry you've done for how faithful you are to read the Bible. It is a gift. It's all a gift, not a result of works. This is the free and loving action of a holy, merciful God working sovereignly in the lives of undeserving sinners. Grace is a gift that flows to us from the cross where our sins were judged and put away with. Faith is a gift that comes to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And think of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We are saved through faith, not because of our faith. Did you hear that? We are saved through faith, not because of our faith. It's like drinking, well, it's like drinking Coca-Cola, if you like Coca-Cola. Just, okay, bear with me. Picture whatever beverages of your preference, okay? It's like drinking that beverage through a straw. We enjoy the drink through the straw, faith, okay? We don't enjoy the drink as a reward for having a straw. I have a straw in here. And now a beverage is in the cup too. Woohoo! Give me more straws and then my cup will fill up. No. You enjoy what's in the cup through the straw. God gives us the drink and the straw and makes us thirsty. And here's why God did it this way. Verse 9 so that no one may boast. God's intention of salvation by grace through faith is to remove human boasting. We're all boasters. Some of us are better at covering it up than others. <laughs> Some of us are just like, there's no filter and phew. that's me. 
But we all want to take the credit for the good idea, for the wisdom and the plan, for the ability to bring it to pass. We are performance-driven. Look at me! Look at me! That was my idea! That was my plan! I did that! I can't tell you how many times, like, I really think God has created marriage for this purpose to say, how many times I've told my wife something, like, I thought it was profound and insightful, and I'm like, we're just having this this conversation, okay, we're relating as husband and wife, and I'm just talking, and it's just like, for her, it's like, okay, yeah, you just don't understand me, blah, blah, and then she goes out and hangs out with her friends, the, the, the men are starting to smile, and then she comes home, and, and I say, how was your time, and she's like, Oh, it was great. She told me this, this, this. I'm like, that's exactly what I said. That's my glory. I said that. I mean, I'll actually say that to her now. I've learned, okay, you shouldn't say that. But that's what's going on in there. And God sees that. And I'm like, that's my glory, my wisdom. You're not worshiping me. Boaster, such a boaster. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Don't tempt, my friend. (laughs) God knows what he's doing with this foolish heart. But God knew that if our salvation was initiated or generated or earned by anything we've done, oh, man, we'd find a way to worship ourselves, wouldn't we? Faith, by definition, looks away from self and on to Christ. To make faith the means to receive grace means that no one can boast in the presence of God for their salvation. In reading these stories of 9-11, I also came across stories of people who were supposed to be in the building, but because of some interruption or phone call had to go outside for a minute, and they escaped or who were supposed to be on flight 93 and because a child got sick, they couldn't make the flight. You know what what was noticeable about all their responses? There wasn't any boasting. None of them said anything like, look at how smart I was to skip that flight or to not be in that building at that time. There was sheer gratefulness to be alive, to be spared, to be saved. No Christian should ever be smug about their exalted place in God's kingdom. No Christian should ever look down on someone who is wrestling with the truth of Christ or who doesn't believe or who um, dresses that way or says those kinds of words, who listens to that kind of music, what do we have to boast in ourselves? What, that we were so dead that it took the blood of Christ to pay our sins? That we were so blind it took the miraculous intervention to get us to see? There is a boasting we boasters can do, so let's not stop being boasters, all right? We already are, so let's, good news here, then be a boaster, okay? But, but we're, not to, we're not to get rid of every boasting, but we're to change the object of what we're boasting about. Galatians 6.14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that we can boast in. 
by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Church, this truth should lay us all very low before the glory of God, and it should make us completely in awe of what God has done for us. I pray that anyone who is dulled this morning to the message of grace, like, yeah, grace, grace, yeah, grace, I pray that you would once again be moved to awe. This is God's word. This isn't, I didn't come like writing this like, hey, I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, so I'll just think of something. Like, this is God's living and active word for me and for you. Kids, this is what you need to believe. It's, it's more important than sports or school, or dances, or allowances, or video games, or cars, or college. Eternal life and death are on the line. If you are not a Christian, you can be saved through faith in the grace of Christ. Adults, this is what you need to believe too. God has given humanity the gift of salvation for anyone who would believe. But this passage isn't done. There's more that God wants to do in you. God doesn't want you to stop at awe. He wants to move you into action. So we are saved, number one, by grace. Number two, we're saved through faith. And now, number three, we are saved to work. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For as much as our salvation is not because of our works, it is the result of God's work. For we are his workmanship. The English translation here creates a nice play on words, doesn't it? Um, but, but the Greek word, because you, you hear you know, workmanship, and um, we're not saved by works, and we're his workmanship. But the Greek word for workmanship, it's the word poema. Poema. What English word sounds like that? Poem. That's right. It's where we get our word poem for, from. It's the only other time, the only other time Paul uses this word is in Romans 1.20 when he's referring to all the, the beauty of creation. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, you are God's poetry. God has made you, or has written you, to be a poem for all to be read and to know the poet. That's what you are in Christ. You are his poetry, his workmanship, his work of art. I mean, just go off here first. I don't feel that way often or ever. <laughs> I don't see that when I look in the mirror. Why I'm so grateful for God's revelation to tell me that, to tell me what reality truly is and not go off of what I see or feel. God has, a, has good purposes for you in the world, Christian. I love a passage like this because I feel like the boat leans all the way over to one side. It's not by works. You're saved by grace, not by works. And then it shifts all the way over to the other side. I don't know, maybe I like those kinds of rides on amusement parks. We're not saved by works, but we're saved to work out of gratitude. 
This is, the, this is one of the reasons we've been created in Christ or saved, to do good works. And just as we cannot boast in our salvation, listen, since it was already planned by God before time, when we are doing good works, and you'll have them this afternoon, after this service, later tonight, tomorrow when you go back to the job, tomorrow when you go back to school, when, when you are doing these good works, can we boast in those? No. Because they too were prepared by God before time began. It's all of God's grace for you and for me, purchased by Jesus Christ. Doesn't that, doesn't that blow you away? God has a plan to use your life. He's planned it out. That doesn't mean God's plan is your plan. <laughs> but he has a plan that involves you doing good things. And Paul doesn't define what these works look like in the church or out of the church. He just tells us that God has prepared them, the good works, beforehand that we should walk in them. I think of walking through a field of newly fallen snow in Colorado, right? Where, you, you know, sometimes you walk in the, that field and someone has already gone before you and prepared the way because the snow's deep and you can just see, okay, I can just put my foot in that little boot print and that boot print. If you walk in the steps that are laid out before you, you move quickly through the field. You're looking for where, where has God already prepared what has he prepared for me to walk in? Which means, church, that, that like looking for the steps laid out in the snow, we should see every opportunity to do good as a part of why God has saved you. To show up early on a sunny morning to help serve and, and put those signs out on the street. Don't give in to doubt of like, well, what good is it to do this and who's going to... No, God has a good work for me to do. He's prepared that for me to do. God doesn't waste anything. Doesn't this give you confidence to drive into work tomorrow morning, face the commute on the 25, and the meetings and the pressure? It's good work. Doesn't this bolster your courage to share the gospel with friends and family when, when things are going wrong in their lives and they're talking to you? And He has good works for you. God has prepared good works for all of us Christians. Grace doesn't make you lazy. It makes you daring. Grace will not make you lazy. You don't receive grace to be saved and say, ho-hum, I'm just going to sit back now and play on my Xbox. It's not what grace does in the heart. Grace makes you daring to now step out in faith into these good works that God has prepared beforehand. Adirayan Johnson was the first American missionary to the Burmese. And I, I'm struck by how confident him and his wife were in the, God, in the God who prepared good works for them to walk in. Six years before they saw their first convert, I believe that God wants to continue unleashing this church into a ministry of good works that flow from faith in the gospel. Think about this. In Denver and the surrounding cities, there are over two million people. The harvest is plentiful with good works that God has prepared beforehand. And you're his poetry. You're his poem. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but our faith is not alone. We are saved to work, displaying God's grace in our lives. Grace doesn't make you lazy, it makes you daring. Here's how this truth transformed me while I was in a heated argument with my wife. 
we were just married, uh, so this is like 14 years ago. I remember living it. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I can't even remember what we were fighting about, which is usually the case. When you're when you're fighting in a one-bedroom apartment, there's not a lot of room to get much needed distance from each other to cool off. And and we we made a little agreement, you know. Um, hey, if you're, we made the agreement before the fighting, right? Of um, hey, there's some ground rules. Let's not let's not leave like in um, you know drive off in the middle of a fight. Um, let's not do that. I mean, let's take a break, but don't don't just leave. Um, <laughs> and so, so there I was, you know, in our bedroom, and she's in the other room. Uh, and I was not going to budge. Then the Holy Spirit reminded me of verse 10, that God has prepared beforehand good works for me to do, that I should walk in them. Now, I didn't know what the good work was in that moment. <laughs> I didn't know what that would look right, like right then. But I know it didn't look like me wallowing in my tiny bedroom full of self-pity, right? Grace makes us daring. Uh, so I opened the door, saw Carrie was sitting on the couch with her feet up. I walked over to her, didn't say anything. I just started to rub her feet. That's all I could think of. Started rubbing her feet. And I don't know why. It's not like I'm a big foot rubber. That's a weird <laughs> sentence. But that just seemed like good work at the moment. Then the ice and the air melted. We were able to forgive each other, work through our stuff, and grow together. My point is this. The good works God has prepared beforehand, it can look like almost anything. They are are good works that God has prepared beforehand, and God has quite an imagination. As his workmanship... Let us look with faith for the good works we are to walk in. In closing, our, our, our message is one of hope and forgiveness of sins and of a grace to sinners like us. This passage ends with talking about how we are to now walk as Christians, but it began in verse 1 with how we used to walk as rebels to God. You see that? You walked... In the, in, the, in which you, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Our identity has changed because, because of God's great gift to us of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And throughout time and forever and ever, the church, this church, a new society of former rebels and spiritual zombies has been recreated by God to be the masterpiece, the poetry, the showcase, the herald of his all-surpassing wealth of grace. Who else will, give, will God give his gift of salvation to today in your life? going to use you. Who else is God going to save by grace this week, this month? As people look at you, they're, they're reading poems of God, poems about sovereign grace for sinners. May God's gift to us be cherished by us, and may others be drawn through us to the gift of God. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, We never tire to talk about and think about 
your amazing grace. When we really stop to think about what we really deserve and how you treated us in Christ, we want to worship. We want to, we're moved into action. Maybe some of us right now are saying, I, I, it's been a while since I've been amazed that I've been saved. Well, maybe, Father, a prayer for them is that they would move into action by repenting and just coming to you afresh, receiving fresh grace from you, confessing to you. Maybe for others, it's, it's what, what does um, daring look like? Maybe it's going to the other person in the church that they have a conflict with and just asking for forgiveness because they see afresh the forgiveness you have bestowed on them in Christ Jesus. Your grace is an amazing thing. It's an amazing miracle. I thank you for it. We thank you for it. Thank you for giving us Christ Jesus and thank you for giving us yourselves that we could enjoy you forever and be satisfied by you. Help us to walk, walk this out, to be faithful, empower us. Thank you for even preparing beforehand our, our steps. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.